0: and uh, this is uh, ring talk that's great forget the name of your own show luke and today we're going to discuss uh, a very very uh historic fight in the annals of boxing history and it's the max bear fight uh, he was the world heavyweight champion he's taken on james j braddock june 13 1935 at the graveyard for champions the long island bowl uh, in long island queens new york uh, most fighters went there, most champions, that's where they went to lose their title. Not purposely, but that's what happened. This is a special fight with me. I was in the movie Cinderella Man. And I just want to say that in the movie, after the movie, because I know a lot of people in boxing, and I, I used to get from very dear friends, I would get these calls saying, how dare you portray Max Bear that way, and how dare you this. And Bear was a great guy, and Baer never said, and I said, I know that. I know we never spoke to braddock that way i know all that but i was just an actor in the film i didn't write it so you know they just want to get his story out bear was not a a mean guy bear as you see in the movie uh and the scene in the restaurant where he's saying all those things about Mae braddock you know you're too young and lovely to be a widow i can show you what a real man is never happened bear is not like that when he was around other people bear bear was A womanizer without a doubt but uh, he did not treat other people like that uh max bear is also another thing i've had this argument with people before max bear had a moken david starved david on his trunks on the left side and people said that he was jewish he was not jewish father is jewish his mother is roman catholic in judaism you trace the religion of the child from the mother because we don't always know who the father is but you always know who the mother is now this will relate to something I'll say at the very end of the show a comment bear made after Braddock uh, beat him and and uh, but bear is born in Livermore California February 11th 1909 and the reason that they used the star of David's because um, pitting ethnicities against each other meant big business so people would would show up. But Ray Arcel, along with Doc Bagley, who was the first, two first modern trainers in the 20th century, the guys to say, you know, we got to we we got we gotta go running uh, like they used to do hundreds of years ago, push-ups, sit-ups, medicine ball, skipping rope. And Ray Arcel is one of those guys who would get in the ring and show fighters exactly what to do. As I was saying to my producer, Boyce, last night watching... Um, who i quite like against the, the fighter he was fighting from eastern europe whose name i can't pronounce uh in between rounds his father would just say that guy's a coward that guy's crap he's an idiot he's afraid of you but that's not advice that's insults how does that help your fighter you have to, a trainer has to give tactical advice to his fighter to tell him exactly what to do in each round and he wasn't doing that and so Ray Arcel was brilliant at that. For instance, when, when Roberto Duran fought Ray Leonard, he said to him, get Leonard against the ropes, put your head under his head. And he did this so when he beat Kenny Buchanan, lift his head up with your head and then hit him with a shot. Also put your lead left leg, your foot in between Leonard's feet. That way Leonard can't move side to side or spin off the rope. So these are the kind of things you tell your fighter that help him win fights. So um, Braddock, faces bare june 13th as i said 1935 and um uh yeah that thank you scrapbook this was at the madison square garden bowl and um braddock had a record of 66 wins 13 losses 51 KOs, 64.56 ko percentage not the highest by any means but pretty damn good um he won the world heavyweight title june 13th 1934 at the madison square garden bull after he dropped uh uh primo carnera 10 times during the fight and the referee the best referee of that era uh, arthur donovan stopped the fight at the 216 mark of round 11. now you know it's interesting carnera boxing in that era was completely controlled by the mafia so at that time you you had um uh 1934 is an interesting era because only the killer madden who ran the sport had been exiled to arkansas where he ran a resort and because of that he still had a bit of control but it was eventually taken over by frank costello prime minister of the underworld frankie carbo and carbo's vicious henchman uh blinky palermo and as vicious as only madden was where you know a fighter that would even dare speak back you would kill them their manager their trainer carbon palermo took vicious to still a whole new level but that's another story so people would say well carnero you know he was a mob-controlled fighter why would they give the title away to max bear they didn't give the title away to max bear max bear won the title but max bear was also a mob-controlled fighter you don't get to fight for the world heavyweight title in that era unless you're a guy who gives a large percentage of your money to the mob that's just the way it is. If you're not going to do it, fine. That's fine. You don't have to. But you're not going to get a shot at the world heavyweight title. You just flat out won't. And uh, uh, there were a lot of things pinned on Max Baer that I think shortened his life. Like in the movie Cinderella Man, they said, you know, he's killed two men. He didn't kill two men. That's not true at all. He did kill Frankie Campbell, whose real last name was Camilli. He was the brother of Dolph Camilli, who played uh baseball for the um brooklyn dodgers and he fought him in 1930 and he knocked him out in the fifth round and later on campbell died of his injuries what people don't tell you was this emotionally destroyed bear and bear ended up supporting this was 1930 and for the next 29 years until he died bear supported campbell's wife and children financially didn't have to do that they had a benefit for them but he did it anyways because that's the kind of person he was he was credited. By various writers who I'm not going to mention, with killing Ernie Schaff. He never killed Ernie Schaff. I actually went and took all this info to a neurologist that I know here in Toronto, Mount Sinai Hospital. And what happened was Schaff beat him in the first fight. Bear clocked him, but Schaff beat him in 1930. So in 1932, they have another fight, and, and Bear um, wins by majority decision and it was a 10 round fight he knocked the guy down and with less than 10 seconds left the referee got to eight and then the bell rang to save Schaff, although bear still won the decision and they say that's the fight that killed ernie Schaff. well that's not possible because Schaff fought four more times it's not possible that you would get a catastrophic brain injury and then fight four successive fights and then fight another fight and get hit and die so uh this is in my book which will be coming out shaft didn't die from brain injuries certainly may have been they may have contributed a bit but that wasn't the main reason for ernie Shaft's death um a bear was a big man bear was six two and a half and he had a huge 81 inch reach he was managed by ansel hoffman who had mob connections and by, and he was trained by bob mccallister you know he started in. California and the way Bear started was he was basically working on his family's farm with with his brother buddy who was 6'6 six, six, who also became a boxer and he would go to these dances I guess held in farms or town halls and for some reason there's always yahoos at these dances everyone knows that wherever you go over the world and he was talking to some woman and some this guy had his eye on a woman and shoved bear and bear said back off and he shoved them again and then he took a swing at bear and bear apparently put up his left arm and blocked it and hit the guy with the right hand knocked him cold and then the guy's friend came out and bear did the same thing that knocked that guy out cold and then their third friend apparently had a bit of a lack of courage and a bit of fit of smarts and decided i'm gonna leave that alone he's knocked out my two best friends with one shot each maybe i shouldn't pick on this guy so it was suggested to Bear that he start fighting. He had some amateur fights around that era, but this was the Great Depression and he needed money. So he starts fighting professionally in Stockton, California, and he's moving up and he's starting to make a name for himself because he's starting to beat more and more and more and more and more um, named fighters. Uh, Jimmy, uh, uh, well, actually, before I get to Jimmy Braddock, I should say Bear had a great overall record. Um, with 66 wins and only 13 losses. He had 51 KOs, 64.5 per six KO percentage. And Bear Bear was a guy to be reckoned with. This is a guy that could fight. Now, Jimmy Braddock was also 62 and a half. He had 47 wins, but he didn't have as good a record. He had 24 losses with four draws and 27 KOs. He was born June 7th, 1905 in New York City and he died november 29th, 1974 in north bergen new jersey he was known as the bulldog of north bergen bear born 1909 died 1959 i think from a broken heart he died of a heart attack but just you know people blaming him for killing two men when that didn't happen was heavy on his heart um braddock had one of the greatest trainers of all time whitey bimstein whitey bimstein is that gnomish bald guy with short arms with the q-tips on his ears and in his mouth uh massaging fighters training fighters you see on film or in pictures and he was a very very smart trainer and so he's training braddock and braddock's doing well he's a light heavyweight 175 pounds he only weighed 191 when he fought bear for the title bear weighed 209 so braddock's fighting all these heavyweights tuffy griffith jimmy slattery great all timer who he knocked out and he's beating these guys and he finally gets a shot at tommy lochran and people talk about james tony's one of the greatest defensive fighters or all-around fighters ever so was ali so was sugary robinson tommy lochran uh was was is still considered by many people to be the greatest defensive fighter of all time you know this is a guy that stood six feet six one fought carnera who was six six 275 Lochran was you know 6 uh 175 180 outweighed by like 105 pounds i had five six inches on him and still made it a fight although carner just stepped on his feet but the one thing that braddock and bear had in common they both lost to tommy Lochran. and this was uh braddock was 24 and this was his chance at the world light heavyweight title and Lochran wiped the floor with him. And there was a point in the fight where Braddock is so frustrated, he's calling him all these names, he's cursing at him. And Lochran, after he lands a four or five punch combination, says, hey, you know, you still got to be professional. You still got to be a gentleman. Don't talk like that to me. I don't like it. And he's very religious person, Loughran. Didn't like that kind of language. Didn't like people fouling or whatever. He said, there's no reason to not be professional. You know, he said to Braddock later, it's just a fight. You know, it's not for the presidency of the United States, it's, it's not for some higher call, just a prize fight, no reason to act like a bum. And I'm not saying Braddock did, but that's how Loughran felt about it. And Loughran won, and where was Braddock to go after that? He was 24, he'd risen up the ranks so quickly, but now he loses to Loughran. He'd made good money, but he invested it in a cab company and then the depression hit. So all his businesses tank and this is the height of the great depression he's got no money he's got three young kids he's married and he tries to keep fighting but it's lost to lochran was so one-sided who's gonna go pay to see him so he fights some more a couple more times lackluster fights and then he fights a guy named abe feldman and during the abe feldman fight he breaks his right hand now when you break your hand in boxing it not only prevents you from throwing it although some guys will uh more importantly it prevents you from blocking shots and so he was a one-armed fighter he was an orthodox fighter and it just it didn't you know it the fight was stopped because both guys it looked like they weren't putting forth an effort they were they they just both weren't it wasn't braddock's night broken hand feldman wasn't that great so the referee stopped the fight and they were both disqualified at that point uh jimmy the boy uh Johnson the bandit Jimmy the boy bandit Johnson the promoter matchmaker from Madison Square Garden recommends to the New York State Athletic Commission that they suspend Braddock's license got a broken hand looked like he didn't make an effort and take his license away and here's the interesting thing he did this he did this and that was a mistake because he did it without the permission of owning Madden you see Braddock's manager was Joe Gould Joe Gould uh was an associate of only Madden's um that's right no champion you're right scrapbook no champion ever defended his title successfully at Madison Square Garden Bowl that's why they called it the graveyard and Joe Gould worked for only Madden doing various things so when Joe Gould in the movie they show him going to to um uh Bruce McCall the actor who's playing Jimmy Johnson and and gould's begging for a fight that's paul giamatti who's a wonderful person and asking him to, to get you know braddock a fight he's broke he's down on his luck didn't happen that way gould went to his boss Oni matted and said what's going on here braddock's one of your fighters so you have a large percentage how are you going to make money off a guy when he's not fighting why isn't he fighting because johnson got his license suspended and so Madden speaks to Johnson and says, Did I tell you to do this? No. Well, but he looks so bad and he he, you know, his, he didn't put up a good fight and he's been stinking out to, and he's the Madden just, you know, shut up. You don't talk back to me. I'm owning the killer Madden. I didn't, did I specifically say to you to get his license taken away? No. Then why did you do it? you know and this is a point where johnson realizes well i could lose my life here he could very well take out a gun and blow my head off and he said i'll get it back he said you'll get it back now not an hour from now not tomorrow not the next day you made a mistake you mentioned the wrong fighter Call him up get his license back if you want to leave the office and make it to your car later and he gets his license back and braddock at this time is going through the worst time like everyone else is during the great depression you know because his hand's broken um They got to put it in a cast didn't heal correctly had to break it again put it in another cast he can't get jobs so he paints his cast black and he goes to the docks and works as a stevedore and he's making money on the docks. he has to go on welfare getting eight dollars you know for the month now you have to remember you can get a good meal for a buck back then but with three kids and a wife eight bucks isn't going to go far and um so He's taken all these jobs he can. He doesn't have the fare to take to go and pay a nickel or, or, or 10 cents for the ferry to New York. He doesn't have that money. He's got to walk across the bridge. He's got to walk 10 miles to get to the job, do the job, and then walk home. And then when he gets home, there's only so much food, and he gives it to his kids. He barely has any. So his weight starts to go down. Also, they turned electricity off on him. So he had to go scrounging for money he went to madison square garden and asked all these people and he said listen you know me i'm an honest guy i would never do this i'll pay you all back and he did you know he got money from various people there joe gould who was just about broke himself and different fighters and people there gave him some money so we could turn uh the electricity back on his apartment and the, you know the heat the lighting have the stove work and it was it was difficult for him to have to beg like that he didn't want to when he started to do well he paid back all the money i think it came to 56 dollars or something or maybe more to the welfare people he didn't want to be known as someone who took it i'm making money now i will give it back he paid back all the people that he borrowed money for it so from so he was a very proud man and Joe Gould is working on him, and says, "Okay, we'll give him a fight. We'll give him a fight. You know what? He's been good. He's been a good money earner. We'll give him a fight. Put him in against John Corn Griffin. Griffin was a fighter from out west, a big heavyweight. Now the thing about Griffin was he could really punch, but he had no chin. And he goes in against a guy like Corn Griffin, and uh, he, he does well against Griffin, and he." He beats Griffin uh, June 14th, 1934. He stops him in three rounds. It was only a five round fight. That was all. But both guys hit the deck in the second round, and then he knocks him out in the in the uh, third round. Uh, that's June 14th, 1934. A little while later, November 13th, 1934, he defeats the great John Henry Lewis on points uh, after dropping him in the fifth round. And then right after that, uh march 22nd 1935 he was a 15 round decision unanimous decision over art lasky three months later he challenges bear now there's something people should know about these fights that they don't that's not commonly known john henry lewis who he fought and then art lasky who was a huge fighter jewish fighter six foot three six four lewis and lasky were blind in one eye they've been fighting most of their career like that and Lewis eventually fought Joe Lewis, his best friend, and got knocked out in less than a round. But he needed the money. He knew his license was about to be pulled. And Jack Blackburn, who trained Lewis, who was, in my opinion, the greatest fighting machine that ever walked the face of this earth, said, You don't want to torment him and punish him for the whole fight. Just knock him out early. He still gets the same money. And Lewis did that. So John Henry Lewis, who, by the way, was the grandfather, great grandfather of uh, L.L. Kool-Jay, I'd beaten Braddock before on speed, you know, hand and foot speed. This time Braddock was different, but it was different for Braddock because of the fact that before, a lot of it was his ego. I love the money. I love being in the limelight. I'm doing well. I'm beating all these guys. But now, after losing to Loughran and the depression, taking away everything from him, now he's in a position where a lot of fighters were back then, where I have no choice but to win. If I don't win, my family doesn't eat you know I can't say to my to my daughter Rose Marie or to my sons Howard or Jay or to my wife May sorry you're not eating this week I didn't win I have no choice but to win because my family needs to eat and he gets in the ring and he he beats the hell out of John Henry Lewis also you have to remember Joe Lewis notwithstanding uh, Braddock had a great chin. Braddock could take a solid shot So, when it came to fighting Max Bear, he wasn't worried about fighting Max Bear. You know, people said he's the big killer. Braddock had taken heavy shots from guys before, it didn't phase him. So, he beats these guys. And then the date, November, November, June 13th, 1935, Madison Square Garden Bowl, Long Island City. The referees, Johnny McAvoy, George Kelly, and Charles Lynch, are the judges. What's interesting is, this was bear's first defense of the title and braddock who beat him also only had one defense of the title and bear was a 10 to 1 favorite going into the fight if you could even get odds uh on the fight because it was was supposed to be a mismatch it was like the alley Liston first fight no one gave bear or braddock a chance everyone thought he was going to be destroyed damon runyon called him the cinderella man you know and everyone said maybe but his pumping is going to burst long before midnight so but Braddock had a secret and I spoke to the one of the greatest if not the greatest boxing historian of all times like great Hank Kaplan who worked for Angelo Dundee and I surprised him because I'd read up on Braddock and all the fighters from then I said I said uh, he said to me do you know who really trained Braddock and showed him how to beat him a Bear, and I said, Solly Seaman. That's right, redheaded Jewish fighter, Freckles from the Bronx, who was the former world featherweight champion. He's the one that got in the ring, because he said, everyone I fought was bigger than me And Punch Darter. This is how you beat a guy like Braddock. And, Be- and Braddock was smart. He also got Tommy Lochran, who'd also beaten Bear, and him to come into his camp, along with Whitey Bibstein and Ray Arcel. So you have a great brain trust there. So- these guys are saying to him, you know, for instance, Tommy Lochran saying, this is, Bear gets frustrated easily. He doesn't like it when someone fights back and he's gonna walk to you in a straight line. And he, he, you know, if you can land punches on him quickly and then keep turning, keep circling him, which is gonna force him to turn, he's gonna start joking around. He's gonna start making faces and, and, and doing poses. And, and that's fine because you're putting rounds in the bank. And it was Loughran and Sully Seaman who impressed on him that you don't have to knock him out. That's not the goal. You have to beat him. And you can beat him by using your ring smarts. Your brain is your most potent weapon. Now scrapbook used to John Henry Lewis to strip from his New York City crown because he didn't defend his crown against Tiger Jack Fox because of doctor recommendations due to poor eye vision. Yes, but he did get a fight he knew that and that's why joe lewis agreed to fight him lewis fought most john henry lewis fought most of his fight uh fights blind in one eye that wasn't uncommon back then harry grab fought blind in one eye eye surgery wasn't as perfected as it was like today and these were starving times they they had no they had no um uh special they had surgery back then but it wasn't as good as it was today now i want to say something about tiger jack fox great fighter people say well he was he threw he beat lamotta that was blackjack billy fox completely different fighter tiger jack fox was an all-time great fighter now braddock uh as i said was born 1905 in new york city died in north bergen new jersey 1974. uh there was a big weight difference for the fight braddock just weighed 194 and and bear weighed uh, 209 pounds and it, it's hard to explain how stunned the audience were because people were watching the fight like this and they were thinking, oh, we hope Braddock can do it. We hope Braddock can win. But knowing that all Bear, Bear was so strong that all he needed was one punch. One punch to, to knock a man out. That's what keeps him in the fight. Last night, Toronto Davis I thought was losing to Hector Garcia and then completely he readapted his strategy and he, because he's very heavy-handed with both hands the one shot bang it's over and that's the kind of fighter that's the kind of fighter bear was now um I mentioned the people involved Johnny McAvoy was a referee he was a veteran referee he scored the fight nine five with one even for Braddock and it wasn't done today when they announced it like was that excitement this judge scores it you know Eight rounds to four for this guy. acts great. Eight rounds to four for the other guy, and then the final It does. They didn't do it that way. They did say these are the scores, and the winner, new champion, is. So what happened was, um, Charlie Lynch scored 11-4 for Braddock, as I mentioned. Johnny McAvoy, the ref, had it nine four for, nine five for Braddock with one even, and George Kelly had it seven seven, with one round even. But they had a supplementary point system. So although he had it even in rounds with one round even on points it goes to Braddock. So Braddock wins the world heavyweight championship by unanimous decision. And it it it's um as scrapbook mentioned no champion who ever defended the title at the Madison Square Garden bull was able to do it successfully. Uh the paid attendance this is in the height of the depression was 29,366 but the gross gate was two hundred and five thousand three hundred sixty-six and ninety-seven, and the net was one hundred sixty-nine thousand seventy-four cents. A lot of the money came from the film of the fight. Bear's share was eighty-eight thousand eight hundred five. Braddock's was only thirty-one thousand two hundred forty-four. But I say only. This is nineteen thirty-four. This was a man who was lucky to get eight dollars a month. Now he's getting thirty-one thousand dollars. And um, um, yes, Al Gainer was another great. Uh, Light heavyweight champ um, uh, from Connecticut. great is from Connecticut. Willie Pep was from Connecticut. Bat Badalino was from Connecticut. Um, I think I probably made a mistake when I mentioned the numbers before because the paid attendance probably was around 290000 it, it would not be 29000 That was probably my mistake. Bear received 42% of the net receipts and Braddock also got 15% of the net receipts on top of his $31,000. So. For braddock this was manna from heaven this was incredible now now i'm the heavyweight champion of the world so now i get to go on tour in vaudeville now i get to appear in short movie films now i get all these uh promotional uh um opportunities where i can make more money and now a guy who was dead broke gets all the money he needs um interesting thing is referee johnny mcavoy took three rounds away from max bear uh the fifth ninth and twelfth for low blows or backhanding but the associated press said it didn't matter because braddock won two of them uh, without the aid of the fouls anyway backhanding i gotta mention that you see this in braddock a lot a lot or excuse me not braddock bear a lot of his fights if Bear would throw a punch he was right-handed and miss like this he would bring it back like this and Smack you with the back of his hand, almost like a pivot punch, which was outlawed. You're not allowed to do that, but he did it all the time. He hit, he hit Braddock low. Braddock was fighting from a a crouch at times, and he landed foul blows. And every time he did, he would just go, and he would go like this to the audience, and then he'd go with his other hand, and then he would bow. How he'd make face, he'd make faces like that. You know, or he'd turn around and wiggle his rear end. I mean, he was joking, and every time he get to the corner, his corner, his manager Ansel Hoffman, would say to him, "What are you doing? This is the heavyweight title, Max. This is why you have what you have. This is your house. This is everything. You have to win this. If you don't win this, your money goes down ninety percent for every successive fight. You must beat this guy. You can beat this guy. Stop clowning." But Lochran, Tommy Lochran, and Whitey Bimstein and Ray Arcel and Solly Seaman, they all knew when you frustrate Max Baer, you get him off this game. That's the whole point. That's what you want to do when you fight another fighter. You want to disrupt the rhythm. When Ali beat Liston the first time, the goal going in is, as Angel Dundee told me, take away Liston's jab. Everything for Liston comes off the jab. So Muhammad took away his jab. How did he do it? Movement, moving around the ring kept moving with his feet and kept popping his jab. And if Liston can't throw the jab, he can't get his other shots going. If Max Bear is frustrated and can't get into a rhythm, he can't fight his fight and he's not gonna win. Inside him, something will quit He'll say, what the hell? And that's a lack of discipline and a lack of focus. Now, everyone experiences that. I'm a writer, so there's some days when I'm working on an article and I think, you know what? It's it's 11:45 at night. I've been working on this for several hours, four or five hours. It's not there. It's not going to happen tonight. Better I just get rest and try tomorrow. You don't have that option in professional sports, especially in boxing. You don't have the option. This is one reason why I love it. Why my producer Eric always loves it. Why his father Graham loves it. You don't. It's not like hockey, wh- where you can change shifts. It's not like football, where you can get a substitute or or basketball where you can go off and someone comes off the bench you don't get that in boxing it doesn't matter how tired you are or if you have a broken hand or a broken jaw you have to fight that's why it's called the fight so um they keep going and and the more the more bears not doing it on purpose but the more bear does this the more warnings he gets the more he's out of his rhythm and braddock kept circling him they say it was one of the most boring fights i enjoyed watching it but then again i'm a boring person so braddock was hitting with his jab and then braddock had an awkward almost george foreman like right hand Well, come in over the top with Ark's right hand but it landed and every time bear would land on him he'd hit him right back but what braddock's specialty was is getting in unloading his shots and then getting away and then there were times and this was in the movie but it happened in, in the actual fight where Bear throws a shot and he misses so much, he almost falls down, right? And then he stands up and puts his hands behind his back and wipes his hands in the back of his trunks. And then he tips his head to the audience. I mean, that's what he was doing. And Ansel Hoffman is pulling his hair out. He's saying, what are you doing? You know, you're losing the fight. I'll get him. You're losing the rounds. And the best way to lose a fight is for a guy to look for one knockout shot knockouts come organically the only exception to that rule of course Joe Lewis and especially when he fought Billy Con Lewis unlike any other fighter that ever lived could rearrange your skull with one punch bear had tremendous power or power but he had to have something to hit and Braddock wasn't going to stay in range and even when Braddock was there and bear did hit him two three four shots in a row Braddock just shook it off and kept punching back. that was bear's face this isn't supposed to happen that's a problem see in boxing when you hit a guy your best shot and he's still there that's the point you know that freddie roach told me this where you got to concede the knockout and win the fight on points just touch the guy up put rounds in the bank but bear wasn't doing that braddock was going in and hitting bear to the body to take away bear's legs and then he kept hitting him in the head and you know in between rounds bear was saying to two hands off and how's my hair who cares how your hair is you know hit the man get your hands on him. and the later the fight goes the more the more desperate um max bear becomes which is better for braddock it's a desperate fighter is going to make mistakes and take risks and when he did braddock took advantage of it now in the last couple rounds braddock's corner said you know what stay away from them don't give them the chance and Braddock said hell no I can't stay away from him I've been fighting him head up even up like this why would I why would I just run for two rounds and and take a chance of getting screwed over what's it going to happen so uh Bear and, and by the way Braddock um thank you scrapbook uh people said well you know Max Bear beat Carnero who was a mob fighter." bear was a mob fighter now when i say mob fighter i have to really make i have to explain this well enough i've had some friends so you're not explaining it fully which is true fighters that were mob fighters didn't choose to be mob fighters they chose you basically they walk into your dressing room put a gun to your trainer's head and they say hey i'm your new manager and if you say no he is they'll kill him and if you keep refusing they'll kill you too they the the mob it's hard to explain them it's not hard to explain it but when someone said no to the mob, it'd be like trying to show your dog another dog on tv look at a dog on tv and your dog tilts its head huh that's the way the mob was and someone said no you're not doing that to me because they never heard no from anyone no one had ever done that to them and lived so only certain fighters got away with it ray robinson but eventually he went with them uh when he lost all his money and basilio stood up for him although his trainers or his managers had to pay them a hefty fee so braddock was mob controlled because of joe Gould. but Gould took care of him so this meant and this happened all the time where other lesser mobsters would try to muscle in on braddock or they tried to do it to jimmy McLarnan, and only managers killed him it was as simple as that the best story i heard about Oni madden was you know he was in prison for a while long time comes out goes in again for violating parole in new york joe gould picks him up and he says to joe Gould, so what's going on and what he means is with my rackets he was a bootlegger he ran boxing he supplied linens he ran the cotton club he ran the store club he ran all these different clubs and joe gould Conway says okay okay only but you asked he said dutch schultz took over your rackets dutch schultz took uh assigned this person to your linen this to your bootlegging this guy to run boxing and this guy to run the clubs four different guys in 24 hours all four guys were found in the east river they were dead this was only madden's response and not too long after dutch schultz was dead but that was That was to get him from killing the mayor, uh, Dewey, or not the mayor, the uh, district attorney who was going against the mob. But essentially, Oney Madden was tough as nails. Yeah, you're right. He was an inmate at Sing Sing, and he did half his time because the mob paid off people there and got him out early. But Oney Madden, who George Chevalier met and has great stories about, Oney Madden was not a guy to be trifled with. That's why they called him the killer. Imagine that in 24 hours. You you get out, four guys who took over are dead. And Dutch Schultz doesn't retaliate, doesn't say a thing. That's power. And that's the kind of power he wielded in boxing. So when he said to to um Jimmy the boy Bandit Johnson, I never okayed you getting his license suspended by the New York State Athletic Commission. I want it back now, not an hour from now, not a day from now. This is my product, my property, earning my money. And you take that away from me, and of course, not too long after Johnson was gone, wasn't killed, but he was replaced by Mike Jacobs. Um, so these guys did not fool around. So Braddock ends up, as I said, winning the title. And if you have, I have all, I have the issue here. I haven't been able to find it, as you can tell. This room is a mess. I have two, three thousand books on boxing, and even more magazines. Um, there were 12 photos of the bout in the August 1935 issue of the Ring magazine, pages five, six, and seven. And uh but and there was a great article on boxing Cinderella Man by the great writer of Francis Albert Tanti. Um the holiday issue of The Ring in '98 said it was the 20th greatest heavyweight. Uh um Bear was ranked as the 20th greatest heavyweight of all time. And that the magazine rated his win against Bear, Braddock's win against Bear as the ninth most. Historically significant upset in the history of professional boxing. I think I think the the biggest upset, of course, was uh, Clay Liston in uh, in 1964. So Bear fought listlessly. He didn't. You know, he he would steamroll guys. You have to understand who was on his record. He he knocked out Max Schmeling. He knocked out uh, later on. He knocked out Tony clinton There was a company called Circle Films, and Circle Films not only get you great. And there's not only great films of the fights but they had a mic in the ring you could hear the fighters talking to each other so when he's fighting galento he's you fat dago bastard i gotta knock the spaghetti out of you i'm gonna kill you and Bear is just pounding galento and the fight stopped and when he fight Schmelling, he says you nazi son of a bitch, you're killing my people you're gonna die tonight and, and it's fascinating to hear this what's interesting of course was Schmeling wasn't a Nazi, he was in the wrong place at the wrong time, but he despised Hitler and saved people on Kristallnacht, he saved young Jewish kids. His manager, you know, Yesel so the muscled, um, was was Jewish. So uh, Schmeling, you know, lost, but he, he would never badmouth Max Baer or anyone. That just wasn't Schmeling. But because of where he lived, unfortunately, you know, in fact, Schmeling even told Hitler off to his face, but because he was so famous, you know, and in that time, the world heavyweight champ, he he got away with it. Um, what happened was was that um, Braddock was smart. He stayed out of the way, landed jabs, came over with solid shots, put combinations in, and whenever he did that, Bear would drop his hands, stick his chin out, and Braddock would hit him. It made no sense. And Braddock executed the fight plan that was laid out for him by Solly Seaman and and Tommy Loughran. And he thanked them and and Ray Arcel and whitey bimstein and he kept hitting bear in the body with the right hands but he also constantly kept changing his position he never stood in one place long enough to allow bear to get comfortable and he ignored bears antics he kept landing spearing jabs and he kept piling up points and putting rounds in the bank and every time he go back to his corner whitey bimstein did this and angelo would do this he'd, he'd cradle his face in his hands and he said Jimmy remember this please you don't have to knock the man out all you have to do is beat him that's all don't go for the knockout don't leave yourself open just keep landing points put in the rounds in the bank and then you win by the way his birth name was James Braddock the J was given to him by Joe Gould because uh, he thought it would help promote him more and it was because of James J Jeffries and James J Corbett so he thought well we'll have another one James J Braddock and it was gould who saw him as an amateur and thought there's something there there's something there this guy's got talent but he's also got spunk and the crowd uh was in absolute disbelief watching the fight the crowd couldn't believe it because they knew braddock was winning this was the thing braddock's winning but can braddock hold the victory that's what they want to know Can braddock last to the 15th round without getting caught by bear And they knew Bear could erase everything Braddock had done with a single punch. So every time Braddock connected, the crowd was firmly behind Braddock. And every time Braddock connected, the crowd went nuts. Um, Max Bear was playing a different, a dangerous game. He was playing a game of chicken. And um, people kept saying, why isn't he going after this guy? Why isn't he letting his punches go? And the more he waited and waltzed and clowned and joked and didn't take it seriously the farther and farther he came behind he put himself in a position where he had to score a knockout and that's not a position a fighter wants to be in he was just giving away the greatest prize in sports and after every round his manager said so what's wrong with you are you having a mental breakdown you're the world heavyweight champion this is a gold mine this is this is you know a right to mint money you're not going to get any more movie rules. he have been in several movies you know, the prize fighter and the lady you're not going to get that no more vaudeville dates you'll be the guy that clowned away the title no more money what are you doing and bear just said just leave me alone i know what i'm doing and so in round six Braddock kept lining tremendous follies on bear and then getting out of the pocket and at the end of the round the audience started to boo bear and bear was really upset by this he was really stung by this and um in the seventh round he came out determined to get Braddock and he landed one of his trademark right hands on Braddock's chin it stunned him but Braddock held on and then when he let go he danced out of out of harm's way and then uh, Braddock just kept picking his spots and pot shotting him and eighth ninth and and tenth rounds Bear gave him away bear was making faces he was clowning for the audience He, he was sticking his rear end out he was saluting the audience you know so uh, carrying on a conversation with them you know, with braddock and it was an, it's an amazing thing to watch you can get it on youtube he's not taking the fight seriously at all and in the 11th round they said you know from here on in these are the title rounds you gotta win if you don't win you're done so he steps on the gas in the 11th round but same thing braddock hung tough he hits braddock with some tremendous shots but braddock stays in the pocket and hits back and bear's stunned bear has this look like this isn't supposed to happen when i hit a man he goes down and he hit braddock some really good hard right hands didn't move braddock braddock had great balance but he had an iron chin joe lewis notwithstanding and then in the 12th round braddock comes after bear and lands rights and left to braddock's or to bear's rib cage and hurts him and then as the urgency level kept going up and up and up um Bear wasn't able to rise to the level. The more urgent and the more desperate Bear became, the more he clowned. This is what they had planned for. And the more Braddock rose to the occasion, the more he landed body shots and head shots. And this is what Tommy Lochran said, the more frustrated and the more desperate he gets, the more he won't fight and the more he'll clown. He doesn't have the focus and the discipline of a champion. And the more you beat him and get out of the way of his shots, or stand up to him and show him you can take them the more he's going to quit on you and that's exactly what happened uh in the 11th round bear stepped on the gas but nothing happened and then in the final round that was close both guys were tossing shots but at half speed three quarter speed and they're mostly body shots and when the fight was over joel gould leaped into the ring and starts hugging and kissing braddock knowing that his guy had won and uh it, it was the upset of the century it really was the upset of the century we hear about the fight of the century no one thought this would happen and radic had emerged from, ni- from 1929 to 1934 as hell you know he, he'd he been forgotten he was the forgotten man and then daniel damon Runyon called him the cinderella man and so i was mentioning about children before after the fight max bear was interviewed and he said i'm glad jimmy won jimmy's a a real gentleman and personally i really like him a lot he's got a wonderful family and he's a great man and he'll be a great champion now that doesn't happen these days and he said he's got three beautiful young kids i don't know how many kids i have i don't know because i've slept with too many women that went out over the air and bear got in a lot of trouble the censors went berserk now People that heard it didn't care but the censors are like you can't say that on air after the fight and for years later braddock said that they asked him you must have been unbelievably elated when you wouldn't tell he said i was happy and i was sad i felt very bad for max bear and they asked him why he said max wasn't cut out to be a fighter he was too sensitive he wore his emotions at the surface and he said when frankie campbell died you could see the life go out of him and uh he said it was just the saddest thing he was he said he was such and braddock was in tears he was such a sweet man he was happier for me that i won and what it would do for me than he was for himself he seemed almost relieved that he lost the world heavyweight title and so after this fight braddock doesn't fight for three years he hangs on to the title you know he gets all these promotions he goes into vaudeville and then there's a young man coming up named Joe Lewis and Braddock was signed to fight Schmeling but because of what was going on in Germany they were afraid that Hitler would steal the heavyweight title if Schmeling beat Braddock which could happen because Schmeling was a former world champion and a great fighter what would happen then? And then we wouldn't see the heavyweight title again until after the war if we saw it again at all. So, what happens is he signs a contract to fight Schmeling, but he breaks it. Joe Gould breaks it. Doesn't matter. Gould's got only Madden, but, but this time only Madden's in Arkansas, but he's still exerting influence. And via Carbo and Palermo and John Reed Kilpatrick. And so, what happens is he breaks the contract and he signs to fight Joe Lewis. Now, Joe Gould knows Jimmy Braddock can't beat Joe Lewis, right? Braddock's 34, but he's got an, he's got an arthritic right hand. He's got arthritic ribs, and he just you know he he can't bring his left hand all the way up because his arm is arthritic as well to defend himself. And against Joe Lewis's right hand, that could be fatal. So he makes a deal. He sits down with Mike Jacobs, the promoter. Now the promoter at Madison Square Garden. This was what was interesting. Um, Jimmy the Boy Band Johnson, the promoter and matchmaker for Madison Square Garden, didn't want Lewis to fight there because he was black. Didn't know his trainers were or managers were black, and said, "You're you're, use the n word. It's going to have to lose." And they said, "No, he isn't." So they hooked up with Mike Jacobs. Johnson had the garden, but Jacobs had Lewis, the biggest draw in sports. So Lewis ends up challenging Jimmy Braddock in Chicago. And before the fight, Joe Gould says to Jacobs, we'll give you a shot at the title, but we want 10% of all of Joe Lewis's future title defenses. And Jacobs extends his hand and Gould says, uh-uh, gotta be in writing. And he said, I'm not doing it in writing. And he said, well, then you don't get a shot at the title. Gould said, it's gotta be in writing. And Jacobs had mob guys with him too, but they had it in writing. It took them forever to get the money because Jacobs was also a swindler and didn't want to give it to them. But um, they fought in Chicago in Comiskey Park and and in the first round Braddock knocked him down, knocked Joe Lewis down with the right hand. And, you know, his trainer, Whitey Pimstein said, listen, this this guy's ferocious. He's a war machine. You know so why not go after him? what have you got to lose what are you going to do stand back let him beat you to a pulp and he comes out and, he, and lewis isn't ready for it he didn't think braddock would do that and he knocks lewis down it's a legitimate knockdown lewis gets up has trouble getting his balance falls into the ropes but he's there and then braddock tries to finish him off he can't but after the first round his trainer jack blackburn says to lewis why did you get up and he said what do you mean you should have stayed down on one knee for the full count of nine and gather yourself you think getting out quicker means no one saw the knockdown doesn't work that way in boxing you know and don't take this guy lightly this is a world heavyweight champion he beat max bear he knows what he's doing he said wear him down and because he knew he had problems arthritic ribs and arms he just started to hit him to the body and lewis's speed and power took over and finally in the eighth round he throws a jab and then a right hand hits braddock in the face caves in his face knocks him out cold in the background you see ray arcel and i think waddy bimstein literally carrying braddock to the dressing room or to his corner lewis called braddock the bravest man he ever fought and he always called him champ when he met him he genuinely he genuinely liked him um and braddock did get did get that 10 percent max bear after he lost went on to fight uh more fights quite a few more fights um he lost to Joe Lewis in four rounds he had the greatest line I ever heard in boxing they asked him what the definition of fear is and he said standing across the ring from Joe Lewis and knowing that he wants to go home early also uh after the third round after Lewis had dropped him a number of times he comes back at a corner and Ansel Hoffman his manager says you're doing great Max he hasn't laid a glove on you and Bear says then keep your eye on the referee because somebody's kicking the crap out of me and so he keeps fighting and fighting and fighting And as I said, he beats Galento, and then he loses to Lou Nova. And he fights some more, and then he loses to Lou Nova again in a brutal knockout, and then he retires. Still a young man. And Bear went back to Hollywood to hang out with his friends, appear in movies. He was in the movie, The Harder They Fall. What's interesting about The Harder They Fall was written by Bud Schulberg, where I got to meet. Bear plays essentially himself. He plays a guy called Buddy Brannon, who knocks out another guy uh who dies it was supposed to be ernie Schaff, and then fights toro marino who knocks him out and i said didn't that bother bear and he said bear needed the money and he was happy to get the part and and um he was great in that film but he dies two two years later and at his funeral joe lewis was a paul bear james braddock lewis was in tears so was braddock they genuinely loved him this tells you a lot about max bear the people even the people that fought him loved him he was you know you see after lewis beats him there's a lot of clips of lewis after his other fights where bears in the dressing room with him kisses him on the cheek and says great fight joe said this is my guy this is my best friend i mean that's the way bear was he didn't take fighting personally you know he enjoyed being friends of all these guys it was a special community he thought and in 1959 when bear died um, sorry about that. When Baird died in 1959, uh, he was having chest pains in a hotel in California. And he said, I need a doctor. And the, and the operator said, "We'll send up a hotel doctor. He said, don't, I'm not a hotel. I need a people doctor. And when the doctor got there, he had died. A lot of people thought it was just, it was too much. The grief of, of Frankie Campbell losing his life and everything gone through. And writers still blaming him for it that many years later, even though, and blaming him for Ernie Schaaf even though he had nothing to do with the death of Ernie Shaft, they just never let up on him. And the other thing, too, I wanted to mention to you is the star of David on his trunks. I spoke to Ray Arcel, who was Jewish, and he said to me, Lou, I can promise you, when we were in Los Angeles and he was working out at the gym, we, there was this big communal shower. So I can tell you for a fact he was not Jewish, meaning Bear wasn't circumcised, Bear didn't speak. Yiddish or hebrew he wasn't bar mitzvah, but not every jewish boy's bar so you can't always afford him. but but uh when he died he had been married by a priest he was the service when he died was by a priest and he was put in a christian cemetery but bear liked all people this was 1959 it was a shock because he was only 50 years old jimmy braddock you know bought a house with the winnings from the bear fight and lived in that house in north bergen for the rest of his life Raised his kids, he owned heavy machinery which he used uh, to help build the Verrazano Bridge in New York, and he he worked in construction after. And he said, "But you're with the world heavyweight champion." And he said, "Yeah, but so what? I don't like sitting at home. I have to be active with my hands and doing something." And Angelo told me a great story where he went over with Muhammad Ali. He liked to introduce him to the former champions. And, she goes to his house and Braddock's in the 70s. He gets Muhammad a big hug and they sit down. He said, "You're a wonderful fighter and a wonderful person." And Muhammad said, "Thank you, sir." And he said, "Only one. I only have one criticism." And, and Muhammad said, "What's that?" He said, "You don't know how to throw a jab." Can you imagine saying that to Ali. He said, "You throw your jab like this, with your hand like this. You're supposed to throw it with your hand like this, which is how they did it in the old days, but." Allie was kind with him, and they joked. Um, Braddock died in 74. I met his children, Jay and Howard, on the set of Cinderella Man, and I should have brought it here from my other room. I have a nice picture autographed by him. Best wishes, World Heavyweight Champ, 1934, James J. Braddock, and one of my most prized possessions. I don't know how much it's worth, but I don't really care. It's a slice of history. Braddock was a great person, and so was Max Baer. Baer was in a sport that he sort of fell into because of his size and strength and in the end braddock ended up doing much better than bear uh career-wise uh than bear especially financially but bear was holding his own making movies bear's son of course was the famous buddy bear who appeared in the beverly hillbillies Um, this is a great moment in sports you can see the fight and when you watch the fight on youtube you just smack your head and think why is bear doing this why on earth is bear throwing this fight away there's no reason for it you know It's the world heavyweight title but sometimes you just don't have it that night and braddock fought the perfect perfect game plan frustrated the man got him out of his own game plan and won the world heavyweight title and that's the way it was back then in 1934 so thank you very much for watching thank you scrapbook um i have a new uh website called uh On Substack called uh, Lou Eisen's Once Upon a Time in the Prize Ring, where you can find my actual stories that I've had published uh, about this and many other stories about boxing from back then. I hope you had a good time. Uh, Enjoy the rest of your weekend. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye.